You're listening to a podcast from Columbia Christian Fellowship in Columbia, Pennsylvania. Our services are weekly at 10 a.m. We hope to see you there. time I step into the pulpit, there's this mass exit out the back door. I'm not preaching till they come back. Work too hard putting this together. You may be seated, Pauline. So if I'm still in the pulpit at noon, hey, that's only 30 minutes. Somebody give me a signal, please, so we can stop and we can pray in unison with, I guess there are 6,000 other or more that will pray in unison in agreement with those for Dakota. So if I'm still going at noon, somebody sign me and we'll stop and pray. Mel, if you remember to let me know it's noon. And I just need Corinne yet because she's reading. Today's our second sermon in the book of Acts, chapter 9. It's our umpteenth sermon in the book of Acts. But last week we began looking at the conversion of Saul, Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 9. Just a very brief review of that. Saul was a religious terrorist, as brutal as they come. He was on a mission to Damascus, which is in current-day Syria, to persecute believers and to destroy the church. Did you get that? He was on his way to Damascus to persecute believers and to destroy the church. And on his way, he had a supernatural divine encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I meant to say this last week and I forgot. That may be a great way to start praying for our unsaved loved ones and people that we know, that they'll have a supernatural divine encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. Knock them to the ground if you have to. And he's not beyond that. We just sang reckless love and all the things that he'll do for one lost soul. Paul saw a brilliant light from heaven, as brilliant as the sun. He fell to the ground. He heard a voice like thunder calling his name. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he asked, who are you, Lord? And the response came back, shocking, I am Jesus. Go into the city and await further destructions, further instructions. The encounter left him blind, so his companions helped him to the city. He remained there on a street named Straight in the house of Judas. And you may find this interesting. The street named Straight is still a major east-west thoroughfare in the city of Damascus. And the house of Judas is on the western end of that street. Just to put things in perspective, 
that this didn't happen in some mystical la-la land. This happened right here in the Middle East, in Damascus, which is still an operating city. Today, the next part of the story. Corinne, very good. You hustled back in. Thank you. Just get, take your time. Get yourself collected. We'll, we'll stand. We're going to honor God's word. And Corinne's going to read Acts chapter 9, verses 10 through 19. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles of their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. And entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Thanks, Corinne. You may be seated. I just have this excitement about today's message. It's just a like those butterflies you got before the big game if you ever played sports. I just think God has something he really wants us to hear today. This is the conversion of Saul, the religious terrorist, part two. Last week, we had some lessons learned from part one. Souls matter greatly to God. Amen? Part two, or lesson two, God will go to great lengths to reach one lost soul. This week, two further lessons from the conversion of Saul, part two. Similar to last week, they won't be new to us. We'll be very familiar with them, but they're especially needful, and they're especially relevant to us in these days. God is bringing these things that we already know, that he's talked to us about throughout the years, and he's emphasizing them again at this point in time for us as we move into this great revival, this great move of God. We need to know that lost souls matter greatly to God more than anything else. Everything he does drives towards this. And one day it'll be over and we'll be in heaven and there'll be no more lost souls to reach. And we need to know the length that God will go to reach one lost soul, the length he went to reach you. And all those folks that we think it's it's impossible and he'll never reach them, see, it's not. He'll go to great lengths, he'll do whatever it takes. Let's begin the conversion of Saul, part 2. Acts chapter 9, verse 10. Very, very important, right from the outset. Now, there was a believer in Damascus. Do you know where I'm going with this, Ray? Now, there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. Some really important stuff here. Art prayed it. I was amazed when you began praying. You prayed some of this sermon, Art, how important we are. In this work of God. The first lesson comes from the first phrase. 
Now there was a believer in Damascus. The rest of this whole passage works off of this thought. There was a believer in Damascus. It's so critical that there are believers placed strategically where God needs them to be. That's you and that's me. Are we living our lives under the direction of the Lord in the center of his will where he wants us to be? Because there's a whole plan built around that. That you need to be there when God needs you there. And if you're off on your, doing your own thing, you're not there, and God's plan suffers. First lesson or principle from the conversion of Saul, part two. God works through, God works through believers to accomplish his will on earth. Please don't underestimate this statement. God's been saying it to us for a while. Today, he's emphasizing it as an actual principle or lesson for us. God works through believers to accomplish his will on the earth. It's something that God is urgently and earnestly trying to get through to the church in these days. So many of us are just living life for other reasons, some intentional, some unintentional. We just don't understand. But that has to change. And God is out to change that. This is extremely important, what I'm going to say next. Although Saul had this amazing supernatural encounter with the Lord Jesus, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. Jesus did not lead Saul to salvation. Think about that. He got his attention with a divine, supernatural encounter. But Jesus did not lead Saul to salvation. This is so important. So important to get. Ananias is going to do that. There was a believer in Damascus. Are you following? It's so much on us. Not on us in our own strength but on us to be in the center of his will. That's the role, that's the assignment God gave the church, the assignment he gave believers. God's not going to do it without or apart from us. That's just the way he designed it. Without going into depth about it right now, that's the way it has to be. God's not going to lead anybody, Jesus, Holy Spirit, they're not going to lead anybody into salvation apart from the church, apart from believers, because, because he can't? No, because he designed it that way. He gave that role to the church. Are you with me? Some of you are looking. This is something God's greatly emphasizing to the church in these days. It's a truth he is urgently, earnestly trying to get across to us. God works through believers to accomplish his will on earth, through prayer and through actions. Remember a sermon a few weeks ago, specific instructions, divine appointments. We see both in this passage. For many of us, unfortunately, 
we have been taught or we have assumed that God just does whatever he wants and he'll get whatever he wants done. Is that true? Is that true? Does God always get what he wants, what he wills? Doesn't scripture say very clearly God's not willing that any should perish? And yet the same book says that there will be many in the lake of fire who will perish. God doesn't always get what he wants. I looked for a man to stand in the gap to intercede for the nation Israel so that I wouldn't have to destroy them. And I found none, so I had to destroy them. It's a misconception that we've got that's caused us to shirk our responsibility. Oh, God will just get whatever he wants. I'm not saying that he won't use somebody else if you don't step up, but there's no, not even any guarantee of that. No one stepped up into the gap for Israel, and God had to let them suffer the consequences of their sin. I can't emphasize enough to this church how serious God has gotten in these days, that we can't take this lightly anymore. It is absolutely a matter of life and death. It is a matter of survival. Justin was sharing how other countries are under this dark oppression. We believe many of them waiting for the United States to come into its full destiny so they can be delivered. There's not another nation in the world that's going to step up because God gave the United States that role. That's my opinion. But he gave us a role in which he, he's based and designed his whole plan of how he's going to carry out his will. And then he gives us the free choice to yield to that or not yield to that. This is not at all about are you saved. We are so far past anymore, are you saved. This is about what's going to happen in the world in these days ahead between the church and God. There's that scary thought that we believers, this is not about salvation. If you're a believer, you're a believer. If you're truly a believer, you're in. But we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Not the great white throne judgment. That's a sentencing to the lake of fire. Who's ever at the great white throne judgment has already been condemned to the lake of fire. They're just receiving their sentencing. We won't be there. That's the good news. But we will be at a judgment seat. And we will be facing our Lord and Savior. And what the scripture says is we'll suffer loss of reward. Which means it'll be that moment when God says, this is what could have been if you live for me. And we may just, well, that's not too bad. That's going to be bad. It'll be over in a moment and we'll enter into eternity with the Lord. But that's going to be a bad moment. And please don't do what's so, such a natural tendency. Man, I wouldn't want to be so-and-so at that judgment seat of Christ. You know what? I don't really want to be Hub Smith at the judgment seat of Christ. So for many of us, we've been taught or we have assumed that God will just do it. He'll do it out there. He'll do what he wants apart from us. However, he wants to. As we said, he designed it that he will work through believers to accomplish his will on earth. It's another reminder for us of a familiar verse that just keeps coming back and just keeps coming back. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me 
will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to the Father. This is not new to us. It's familiar. We've heard it many times. It's just that we're having a very hard time believing it. No coincidence it's resurfacing again today. When God wants to get something through to his people, he repeats it often. He brings it to our attention over and over. I tell you the truth, anyone, that's you, that's me, anyone who believes in me, who put their trust in me, who has become a believer, a follower of Christ, will do the same works I have done, and even greater works because I'm going to the Father. Here's why he continuously brings it to us. Because his word is like a mighty hammer that smashes a rock to pieces. When God keeps bringing a word to his people, it's smashing the strongholds of unbelief, of misunderstanding, of resistance. He keeps bringing his powerful word against our thinking. And it's like a hammer that just smashes and smashes into our thinking until that stronghold, unbelief, misunderstanding, resistance, whatever it is, disobedience, until that stronghold is is demolished. God has been bringing this thought to us quite a bit. He, his son, the Lord Jesus, they worked through believers. They worked through his disciples, his followers, to accomplish his will, his plans, his purposes on earth. Back to the text. Now there was a believer in Damascus. Whoo, good thing. Thank you, Lord. There was a believer in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord spoke to him in a vision, called his name Ananias. Here's another one of those ordinary believers whom God uses in extraordinary ways. Let me give you some information about Ananias. Ananias. And it's not much. He came out of obscurity and he went back into obscurity. We don't know where he came from. We don't know how or when he became a believer. All we know is his name and he was a believer and he lived in Antioch. He lived in Damascus. He lived in Syria. And perhaps without his obedience to the Lord, we wouldn't have 13 epistles of Paul. Did you think about that? If you really believe God will always get what he wants, then no big deal. But what if not? And what if Ananias would have disobeyed and didn't go to Saul? We might not have the Apostle Paul. We might not have 13 New Testament epistles. Just something to think about. And after this, he disappears. Similar to Simon the sorcerer, the Ethiopian official. They appear on the scene. They do what what God had for them. Then they go on. Vanishes into history. Nothing more said about Ananias. Hear me when I say this because this is extremely important. The Lord wants you and the Lord wants me to know this. Just like Ananias, this could be you or this could be me. There was a believer in Columbia. There was a believer in Washington Borough. There was a believer in Mount Joy, a believer in York. Lancaster. And his name was Hub, Ray, Art, Steve, Deborah, Chris, Tanya. Just an average believer, just an ordinary believer, nothing special, 
and God chooses to use mightily in any given situation, at any given moment in time. If we're living for him, you don't want to miss that. You say, well, it really hasn't been like that. I know, but remember the word? The way things have been is not the way things are going to be. This is going to change. This is the call of God to the church. And he is going to use the church, and he is going to use believers like this, and he's going to do it with us or without us. We're not talking about your salvation, whether you're going to be in heaven. If you've trusted the Lord, you're in. That's, that's solidified. We're talking about this life that God is calling us to in these days ahead that you don't want to miss. Anybody out there? Does that stir anybody's heart? Now, I don't see too many of the, of the youth in here, but I felt like God gave me a word for the youth, for the children and the youth. Isn't that funny? There's hardly any here. I'll probably have to repeat it. But God wants to use you. Daniel, I see your face. God wants to use you. We have a tendency to think as children and youth, when we become adults, then we'll become spiritual and God will use us. We have a tendency as Christian adults to think that about our children and youth. And we do them a great disservice. You know, Joseph, Daniel, his three friends, the Virgin Mary... They were all teenagers when God called them and used them. I wanted to say to the, the children and youth today that this is for you, not just us adults. You will probably be the ones that carry on this mighty move of God that we're preparing you for. Parents, grandparents, guardians, please don't underestimate the potential and the possibilities of how God wants to use your children in these days ahead. There are reports in other places, and I hate that, it, that it's always in other places. Why isn't it here? Where five-year-olds are in with the adults praying for the sick and God is healing people. They have more faith for that than many of us do. Oh, so-and-so's sick. Can I pray for him? They're innocent little minds of faith. Faith of a child. This is going to be a distinct part. Again, this is my opinion. I don't have chapter and verse for this. This, this involvement of God with youth and children in the days ahead is going to be a distinct part of this mighty move of God. Children and youth are going to play a huge part in what God is doing. And for all of us, though, God may just choose to use you in a situation way beyond anything you can ask or imagine, like Ananias. Are you kidding me, Lord? I heard about this guy. But here's a verse for us. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. We have no problem believing that God can do more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power. But faith breaks down when we see that it says through us, his power that's at work within us. In other words, it's not apart from us. It's not independent of us. It's through us. God uses us to accomplish his will on earth as it is in heaven. 
When we come across complex situations and difficulties and, and evil coming in like a flood, we often stand back and ask God to intervene. But if you look through history, biblically and otherwise, how did God intervene? He rose up believers to step into that battle. And he worked through believers. Any great social issue, so, social injustice, when the church cried out to God, God began to act upon their prayers and move. But he raised up strong, bold, believing believers and the church to resolve the situation. And that's what's happening today. And until the church hears that clarion call and rises up, evil's going to remain en entrenched. Thank God in America there is a rising remnant that is hearing that call and is rising up. We're part of that. There's no question in my mind, no chapter or verse, but there's no question in my mind that God hasn't tapped, called Columbia Christian Fellowship to be a part of that rising remnant that he's going to use mightily in these days ahead. <laughs> Acts 4.30, which thank you, Jamal, for, for your role today, but Acts 4.30 makes it even clearer. Ephesians 3.20 says the power that's at work within us but Acts 4.30 says, stretch out your hand of power through us to heal and to move in signs and wonders by the name of your holy son, Jesus. Save, which is salvation, heal, move in mighty acts of power, signs and wonders through us. Remember when Jesus sent out his disciples ahead of him, the, instruction were, the instructions were, tell folks about me, heal the sick. Cast out demons, set the captives free, and implied there is, you do this. You heal the sick. If you just remember basic grammar, when there's no subject, the subject is you. Heal the sick. Well, who? You. It's Jesus. We know that, but it's through us. Hey, Heather, I didn't ask you, but can I, can I use you as an example if you remember the time I came, was called to the hospital with your mom and dad, your, your dad and Donna to pray for, you were really sick, stomach pains. You can correct me if this is wrong, but when we got there, you were in extreme agony. They had given you just about everything they could and nothing touched it. You were writhing in your bed. And I know, Sonny, you looked at me and you said, Pray which is right, I'm the pastor, I should pray, and I couldn't pray. I couldn't form a prayer at that time. And I started to feel very uneasy and very awkward because I couldn't pray. And I heard this voice say to me, you heal her. And I was like, I have no clue. <laughs> no, I'm not being funny. I was like, I have no clue. What even does that mean? But the pressure and the silence got more and more awkward that I just started spitting out. Heather, you be healed in the name of Jesus. Whatever is causing this pain, you leave her body in the name of Jesus. Is that right? You remember that, Sonny, you were there? Is that a recollection? And as I was doing that, all of a sudden I realized you weren't in agony anymore. You were so still. And I stopped and I said, Heather, how are you feeling? And you, you, you just like whispered, fine. 
And I'm like, what about the pain in your stomach? And he said, it's gone. I have never forgot that. I have not done much of that, but I have never forgot that. Where the Lord said to me, you heal her. And that's actually scriptural. He sent his disciples out two by two, and he said, heal the sick. All authority has been given to me. I'm giving this authority to you. Heal the sick. Announce the good news. The kingdom is near. Cast out demons. Set the captive free. You have that authority. You have that power in the Holy Spirit. And Satan has stolen that teaching from the church. And we don't operate in that much these days. And the world is suffering because of it. I'm not one standing up here telling you this as someone who fully understands or fully operates in it, but I see it in the Word, and I feel the pressure of God to teach it and preach it. It's going to become very real in these days ahead for those who will embrace it. And for those who are skeptical and scoffing, we'll stay in this mediocre state. And evil will continue to have its way. People will continue to not get saved and not get healed. Am I saying that we don't ever pray for healing? No. But when we're praying for healing, don't be surprised if God, you just don't hear God say, you heal her. He's able to do imaginably, immeasurably more than we can ask or think. Stretch out your arm to heal, that signs and wonders may be, beform, be performed by your servant Jesus through us. Anyhow, back to this story. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, that's Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas, and when you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. Remarkable, right? What would you do? What would I do if we got those instructions? The first thing is we would doubt that it was the Lord telling us to do that. For the most part. Not all of you. But for the most part, we would doubt that that was the Lord. Ananias tested it a little as well. The Lord spoke to him. The Lord said... All through Scripture, God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, speak to their people. Speak to God's people. As we've learned recently, he speaks and he gives very specific instructions that lead to very specific divine appointments. Go over to Straight Street, not 4th Street, you know, and, and, and not Lincoln Highway. Go to Straight Street and go to the house of Judas. It's just about the last house on the western end of the street. Ask for a man named Tarsus, a man named Saul from Tarsus, He's praying. I have shown him a vision of, of a man named Ananias coming. He knows you're coming, Ananias. Lay your hands on him so he can see again. Wait, you're not going to heal him, Lord? No, you heal him. You lay your hands on him so he can see again. You will heal him of this blindness. Specific instructions, divine appointments. Man, God takes care of everything. 
all the details. All we need to do is what? It's the O word. Obey. God didn't leave any of the details to coincidence. He made sure everything was arranged. Then he said, okay, Ananias, now go. You know, I think I'm going to stop here. Nope, I want to stop here. There's a second lesson. It's about hearing God's voice. And we'll pick that up last week, next week, just so that we can be prepared. We have four minutes to really pray together for Dakota. Um, none of this is planned, obviously, but what I kind of have in my mind is, Melanie, you're, the, you're our liaison through Dakota. If you could just come up here. Don't worry, I'm not going to put you on the spot or anything. But those who desire, we'll gather around you as proxy for Dakota. Is that okay? And we'll pray because you're our liaison. You're sending us the information. You don't have to come if you don't want, but if you want to come, we'll surround Melanie and we'll pray for Dakota. And we'll wait just a, a minute or two until it's 12 o'clock. Thank you for listening to our weekly message. To connect with us, visit our website at blesscolumbia.org.